Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. We're going to do something completely different today. I will not be your host for today's episode, and I'm really excited to pass along the reins to Marie LeClaire. Marie is our East Coast booking agent, but this will be her first time hosting an episode of Speaking of the Arts. She's got an incredible guest lined up for everybody. She's going to be speaking to Nate Query. Nate is the bassist for the great rock group, The Decemberists. I'm really excited to have her talk to Nate and share her conversation with you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Here is Marie. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, at least for this week, Marie LeClaire. I'm so excited about our guest this week, Nate Query, longtime bass player for the Grammy-nominated Portland, Oregon-based rock band The Decemberists. And he's a personal friend of mine. The Decemberists have toured all over the world, performing for an extremely dedicated fan base for over 20 years and have an impressive body of work that continues to evolve with each project. In our conversation, Nate and I talked about how the Decemberists got together and what it's like to keep a band together for such a long time and celebrating the band's 20th anniversary during the pandemic. We also talked about Nate's volunteer work for the organization Open Hearts, Open Minds. OHOM is an Oregon-based nonprofit organization that supports individuals serving prison sentences through arts and dialogue, facilitating personal and institutional transformation and growth. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nate Query. Um, all right, so Nate Query, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, hi, Marie. It's good to be here. <laughs> um, so Nate happens to be a member of one of my favorite bands called the Decemberists, <clears throat> um, which hasn't done a whole lot of touring lately. <laughs> Not so much. Um, but um, do you want to maybe start by just giving a little background um, of the band and, and sort of how, because you've been in the band since the very beginning, which is was 20 mm-hmm. years ago now, right? Yeah. Um, in the year two in the year 2000 we um that was when we colin was starting the band and when i was first met him and ezra he and ezra holbrook on drums were had a band with a guitar player named david langness and they had a bass player that they decided they wanted to do upright bass so they somebody asked me if i would come and play with them at a rehearsal and see how it goes that was 2000 and we kind of hit it off. And, um, and then at the first show I played with them, Jenny Conley came who had, who I'd known for a long time. And she played Colin found out she played accordion and then she promptly joined the band. And, um, for, for the end of 2000 <clears throat> and 2001 and even into 2002, like we made an EP and we made a record but we hadn't really played outside of Portland, maybe Seattle. Um, and then it was when Kill Rock Stars got involved in 2002 and re-released the first record and started putting out the next stuff that we started, that we did a national tour and started to sort of grow. And um, we've been a band since. For the last couple of years, we've done barely anything. As is the case with everybody. As as <laughs> as it goes, yeah. Um, I I I have some of uh, the artists that we work with, even are are bands that like yours have had members that have been in there from the very beginning for a long time. What? How do you think that 
affects, you know, even though the band has evolved quite a lot since the beginning, the sound of the band, you know, from record to record and everything, how do you think that affects um, the bands that there are a number of you that have really been in, in, in there for the long haul? Well, there's, I think there's something special about <clears throat> hearing people play together that have a long uh, music relationship together. Um, so like Jenny and I have been playing together since I was in high school. Um, and then, yeah, the December's been together a long time. New, the new guy is John Moen, who joined in 2005. Um, so there's just sort of a, a an intuitiveness and a depth of understanding you have each other that is is cool and creates like really unique musical moments that you wouldn't get um with people that didn't know each other coming into a room that um there's sort of a trust there and stuff that can be exciting i mean it can be really exciting to hear what musicians do that are totally unfamiliar with each other and, and that's a whole different thing but um it's pretty cool hearing bands that have I like listening to bands that have a lot, uh, have a long relationship together and, and hear what they can do. Um, it, it's hard to keep a band together that long. There has to be a lot of things have to go right and you have to be really good at um, resolving conflict or living with it, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so then how do you, um, you know, one, so then how do you keep things interesting from, from record to record and, and sort of, um, is it that there's like sort of the comfort to try things because you're so comfortable playing together or is it something that you need to work at to keep things like fresh? Um, it can go both ways. There's definitely been, I think there's been times where we've, I mean, first of all, the Decemberists, one thing that makes it easy is that Colin, uh, who's the primary songwriter, the songwriter, he, he's very prolific. Um, and he's really, he also knows us all really well, both musically and as people, but he'll, he'll sometimes write things, even from early on, he would sometimes write things that would sort of play to one of our strengths maybe as a musician, but he would also write things that he, he knew would put us out of our comfort zone a little bit and try and push us. Um, but the material, having material that's, always coming in and is kind of um diverse and it isn't all just like one style of songwriting that's really fun but there's definitely been times where i think we've felt like we were just kind of giving every song the decemberist treatment in the studio like where we kind of have the same ups and downs to the song and stuff and we try and catch ourselves and try and um work with a producer that's willing to say you know, maybe we should mix it up here. Let's try something different. Um, you know, not not always have everyone drop out the third verse or not always have it build a certain way. Um, so it's kind of a mix. I mean, sometimes it's like because you're comfortable, you can really try different things. And also you're more comfortable telling each other like, nah, that's not good. Let's keep moving. Um, <laughs> but, then, yeah. but then there's also times where you can kind of get into a rut together and like our last record, which we made in um, 2017 and released in 2018, I think that's right. Um, we worked with a different producer. We'd done three or four records in a row with the same producer, and we hired a different producer that was whose records really don't sound like ours at all. Mm. Um, and it was, and part of that thinking was just to mix it up and and challenge ourselves a little bit. Um, 
And it was really fun that we, I think we all also missed Tucker Martin, our, our longtime producer and friend. So I don't know, you're always kind of, it's, it's both at the same time. Um, so then what was it like celebrating the 20th anniversary of the band during the pandemic and doing those live streams as sort of your first kind of step back into playing again? Well, the, the 20th anniversary concert uh, tour was going to be a month in, in uh, summer 2020. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big bummer because it went away and we canceled it. We postponed it to 2021. And then this spring, um, we were like, you know, our, our machine is pretty big. Like it's like two tour buses and a truck and all this rented gear and all this tons of gear that we own. And um, between bus drivers and band and crew, it's like 20 people. So the, the idea of going on tour with, that, with uncertainty was just too, too overwhelming. So we canceled the tour completely and decided to do a live stream thing this spring um as sort of a i mean not really a consolation prize but it sort of, it sort of wasn't consolation like can't go on tour but you know what might be fun to do this and it would be nice to mark this anniversary so and, and it, it seemed like it was pretty fun. it seemed like the fans were pretty excited about it yeah and you know what's neat about it is you know it's funny if you could play a show <clears throat> Imagine playing a show for only your most hardcore fans from every city. <laughs> you know, it's, instead of like going to a city and there's like a front row that's really excited and then like a bunch of people that are excited and then a bunch of people that just bought tickets because they read it in the weekly. It's like only the front row, the whole, yeah. and you can't see them when you're performing. We pre-recorded everything. Yeah. But it was kind of fun. Um, it was one thing that was really different and fun was that when it was, when the shows aired, we could watch it and see all the comments go by. And um, that, that was kind of fun. I enjoyed that. And we, and we could even interact a little bit though. It's hard to keep up, but, um, and then we did it. We had a VIP package where people could buy the streams to all three shows, plus uh, a Q and A with the band when the show's over. And it was kind of fun to do these little, do this little Zoom Q and A webinar after the show. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just was, it felt like uh, it was awesome to connect to our fans after being gone and then playing the show in front of nobody, just a couple camera guys, you know. Um, it was nice to be able to air it and have this interactive format. Do you think you'll do another one or at this point you're just kind of waiting to, well, you guys, you've, you played one live show not too long ago, right? In June, we went to Telluride Bluegrass Festival. They decided to put on their festival sort of at the last minute. And um, we did an acoustic show. So we did really stripped down. Um, and that's the only live show we've done. And it was fun. It was really fun. So then what's the, what's, what's the plan moving forward? Or is there one yet? Um, we're hoping to tour next summer. Um, if all, you know, if we, if the pandemic becomes endemic and we can all do things then then i think we'll be able to do that tour we don't have plans for a record um or anything at this point and i don't think we'll do another live stream that was really fun and i could imagine live streaming a show or two from a tour for all the people that can't go to one of the you know we only play 20 shows right when we do a month-long tour um 
but but we're not yeah we're not super busy right now and, and maybe we would if if we make another record in the next years but there's no plan right now mm -hmm. yeah so but i guess all of that sort of leads me into the sort of main catalyst for why i wanted to um have you on a, as a guest uh at this particular time and that's because mm -hmm. um because I, I know that over the years you've worked on a whole slew of different side projects and things that you know um, as far as playing music with, you know, and, and, and releasing other albums and stuff, but you have a really cool thing that you're working on right now at a prison in Portland. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, almost three years ago, I started working, um, helping out with, a like record music recording program inside a prison in Portland, in Portland, Oregon. And, um, and we, and it was, it's basically just a space for people to record, for the guys inside to record whatever they want to record. There's some instruments in there. And then we had to figure out equipment to bring in that is allowed by the Department of Corrections. Um, but I was just kind of helping out with that and going in most weeks, because it's once a week. And then over the lockdown, we were locked out of the prison. <clears throat> but the summer when it looked like it was going to, they were going to let us back in. Um, the guy who was in charge of it stepped down and asked me or the organization that runs it asked me if I would take it over. Um, so I am, I am taking it over <laughs> and I got back in in July and was in for a couple months and I just got locked out again last week. So there's some bureaucratic stuff to figure out, but, um, but yeah, it's been a really, it's been really interesting or, since over the last bunch of years, I found it's, I'm always looking for cool ways to connect to people with me through music that isn't just like putting a band together and trying to make a record and tour. Like music, I think has a really, uh, music has a lot of potential for community building too. Um, and that's kind of how I see this. Mm. Um, so like what, what's involved in this? I mean, are you, are you sort of teaching that teaching people how to record or are they already in, are some of them already like experienced? Like how, how does that all work? You know, it's all over the map. And um, I really try and take the approach that like, so one thing that's that a lot of people don't realize about prisons, they're some of them have more, they're all different. Some of them have more robust like programs for um, incarcerated adults than others. Some have almost nothing, but a lot of the cool programming is really dependent upon volunteers and volunteer organizations. And so the organization that I work with does has done started out doing plays like Shakespeare in the Oregon State Penitentiary and stuff. Um, and then this music program is one of their newer programs. So at the very basic level, my presence there for those two hours every Monday means that there's a space, we use the chapel, but there's that a physical space that the guys can gather and work on music. And I'm the volunteer that sort of like bureaucratically allows this thing to happen. So I try and really make it um, about them and let them lead it and try and like cater it to what the guys there wanna work on, which might really be all over the map. There's been guys that have had thrash metal bands or country singer songwriters um a lot of it is rapping to beats like i bring in beats from youtube or whatever 
Um, I'm trying to get more people to make beats that I can bring into. And then sometimes it's um, somebody wants to put a band together and like pre-lockdown a couple of times I brought my bandmates in because we wanted to record somebody's song, but there wasn't a drummer inside. So I brought a drummer in and then I played bass and we'd live track stuff. So it, it really, um, I'm not, I'm not really teaching unless somebody's trying to figure something out and I can, and if I can help, I will. Um, I am trying to get some of the guys that are interested to do the actual recording part of running the board and stuff. Cause mm-hmm. um, it frees me up to sort of talk to new people coming in and stuff, but it also means that they're practicing that skill and the more they're self-sufficient, the better. And in fact, right now, while I'm locked out, the, chaplain and the director of programs that works inside the prison are trying to keep the program going by they have to go down there and be there for two hours which they're all very busy and it's difficult but um until i can get my badge issues worked out those guys can go down there and then the the incarcerated guys can run the program themselves because they know how to enough of them know how to run the gear Mm -hmm. so what's the name of the organization that is, that you that is sort of helping facilitate this it's called open hearts open minds of oregon and um yeah they have some writing programs they used to do a guitar lessons thing and they have some theater programs and then mine's the only the music studio at the prison i work at is the only program like it hmm. oh wow with, okay. within their thing yeah so how can people um get involved and help i'm sure you must need some funds at the very least. Well, yeah, I'm trying to, I, I am. <clears throat> so I agreed to take over and then like a week later, got an email from the chaplain. That's like, Hey, you can come back in. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not ready. <laughs> um, so I've been scrambling to mostly focus on getting the program inside working well. And um, open hearts, open minds has enough of a budget for me that I've been able to buy some of the gear we need. Um, and then, until I can get more people inside, there's only so much people outside can help. But I do think that the best way people can help is to, um, at least for me personally, I can, if, if I can get donated headphones or iPods and stuff like that, that's helpful because I can use those like old iPods or MP3 players. Um, and then the, or donate to the organization to give us more of a budget. But I also think that in general, um, just finding out about local, look around your area and see who's working in prisons or who's working on a bail fund or, um, or, or just read a book about what it's like in prisons or listen to some of the podcasts that are out there about prisons. I think that there's, this is bubbling up and it's hot right now, but I think that it's really important that people like listen to the stories of incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people and learn so that we're, recognizing that people in prison and who've been in prison and marked by that um, experience are neighbors and they're a community and feel connected to it rather than like, there's an element of people go to prison and they disappear. So that, so you can write letters to prisoners, you can donate to a local bail fund. There's lots of things like that. And I almost think that's more important than necessarily getting involved in my program because they're all small and localized mostly. And the Department of Corrections almost everywhere limits, greatly limits the scope of, of most of what we can do. Yeah. 
Wow. I, uh, well, I, I was really glad even when I just saw you post on Facebook about this, because I, it had never, I, I admit that, you know, it just never even dawned on me that mm-hmm. something like that would even can exist. Cause it's just not something that you hear about, you know, unless no, we're it's, looking for it. no, it's true. There's really like, I mean, those prison walls are really strong and really big. And there's an element of once people get into the system, they're just sort of, it's really hard for them to connect back to our society. Um, and, and once you start digging in a little bit to our entire prison system, I mean, a lot of people are starting to understand this better, but it's just unbelievable how much in my lifetime, like starting with Reagan and maybe, a, maybe even Nixon, but really Reagan, like we just built a gajillion prisons and when you build more prisons and you have more people making money off prisons you need to get more people in jail and you know maximum like minimum sentencing laws and all this stuff there's just guys that are people in jail forever and there's also a lot of ways in which it's really hard to re-enter when you're done and some people are trying to change this but it's really there's that all the negative aspects of our carceral system have a lot of momentum so the people trying to change it it's like a very uphill battle and I'm still learning about the bigger picture of it, but I feel really lucky to be in a situation where I just go in and do music with these guys inside and it feels powerful to make that connection. And it inspires me to learn more about the bigger picture and try and be, um, connect to other people that are working to make it more humane. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, it's, it's been my experience that, you know, you only really hear about the prison prison system on the news when it's bad stuff like here in new york lately all they're talking about is rikers island because there's been there's there's been a huge spike in prisoner deaths and fighting and all kinds of violence and that but that's the only they only tell you one side of the story um they don't really talk about what the actual conditions are and um, sort of, and who's, who's in there. It's only under, yeah. after there's a tremendous amount of pressure put on the mayor. <laughs> and Rikers is a good example of a place where it's a lot of people that are just there while they're waiting for trial because right. they can't afford bail, which is insane. Like, because when we don't get mad if a rich person can bail themselves out and they just hang out, it still sucks to be in purgatory while you're waiting for your trial. But, uh, it sucks a lot more if you're in jail and jails don't even necessarily have the same they don't necessarily have programs they don't have as good of visiting situations there's all these ways in which it's so messed up and yeah you only hear about it when it gets so egregious that people are dying but um even on a day-to-day basis there's a lot of um just unbelievable unfairness and like suffering that's happening every day well, I appreciate the fact that you're doing something positive um, and that it's sort of, I know even just for me, it kind of opened my eyes. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll send you a, a link uh, to this document that Mariam Kaba put together. She's like, she wrote a book called, actually, I have it right here. I'll show it to you, even though people can't see this right now, but we do this till we free us. But she has, she has a, um, she's one of the leading thinkers about, um, prison abolition and just sort of like changing the way we do justice in this country. 
Um, but she also is super practical, has this really amazing document that just has all these different ways you can plug in everything from like letter writing to learning about cash bail to, you know, donating to local bail funds, um, finding organizations near you that give you opportunities to volunteer like I'm doing. Um, and, and I think I've realized as I've gotten in this and I've been talking to more people about it, that a lot of people really do just want to like plug in and connect to somebody and like a letter, letter writing is great. There's having a pen pal in prison can be a really great way to just um, make a personal connection that's satisfying to you. And you're going to learn a lot, but it's also something really just a, a really caring human way to connect to somebody inside. Wow. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the most serious conversation we've ever had. <laughs> It may be, yeah. Well, um, usually it's like it, we're hanging out at shows and, yeah, you know, doing videos and. Right. Yeah, doing doing videos at at uh, indoor bocce ball courts. Yeah, that was awesome. Or how about that one we did at the inter- like some super busy intersection? That's like yeah, on Houston and yeah, uh, Houston. That is. <laughs> that do you amazing. know? I was thinking about that. Just the other day, I was driving through lower Manhattan and I drew and I and I turned the corner over there and I was like, I, I was like, oh, wait, don't crash. Like when I was like looking, I was like, I, I can't walk past that corner without thinking about that. It's like one yeah. of my favorite, favorite things, you know. Yeah. So for for if for listeners, in case this makes it on the thing, I had a band called Black Prairie for a bunch of years and we were we weren't totally acoustic, but we could play totally acoustic and we started out that way. And so we made some videos, just we'd go to a city and just make a video in a super random place. And Maria helped us make a couple videos in New York um, at the bocce ball bar and yeah. Houston and Allen. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. There's even one spot cause we did, we filmed two songs on Houston Mm-hmm. And one of them, there's even a spot where, and it was it, like, I think it was even like on the beat that somebody like really leaned on their horn. Like, and yeah, like, and it totally fit. Yeah, it was awesome. And everyone was just kind of like, what, what? <laughs> and then there was some, some guy who came up and said that he was a singer too and started singing to you guys. Yeah. No, it's so funny. And it also, but you know, it's, you're in New York city. So that like, maybe a few people stopped to listen for half a second and hundreds and hundreds of people walked by and just kind of like, you know, rolled their eyes at us or something. It was really funny. Well, I mean, that's, that's New York for you. You have to, do something. You have to awesome. do something, you have to do something pretty weird to have anyone really flinch. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, hopefully it won't be too, too long until you're in New York again. Or until I'm in Portland. I know, man. Do you have plans to come to Portland with any anybody you're working with? I was supposed to point? come. I was supposed to come with Maria. You know that was COVID canceled. You know we were supposed to be in Portland, Seattle, um, right? And then a handful of stops down in California. The first time the December has toured Europe, we we were just the five of us. We didn't bring anybody with us, and. Um, we landed in Amsterdam and got in like a day late 
we got in the morning of the first show and we rented half the band went to sleep in the hotel until sound check and the other and then me and rachel went and got rented the got the rental van from some guy named duda and got the, <laughs> the rental gear and then broke every traffic law in amsterdam driving back to the hotel like i drove over train tracks and stuff i was just like so confused <laughs> and sleep deprived yeah um and then yeah that was in some ways it was kind of a miserable tour like it was fun and exciting but it was so brutal like we we were following cake on a they were on a bus tour and we're driving in a little sprinter trying to keep up with the bus tour and man it was nuts and we you know this is we didn't even have it's 2004 so we didn't even have you know gps or anything we just had printed out map quest yeah oh sometimes, without, sometimes we didn't even have the last page or like the directions would go to like the city center because our tour, our manager just put in like, you know, uh, forget the name, just put the name of the city and then it just defaults to the city center. So we get to the end of the directions and we're like, mm. we're at the plaza. Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's no venue here. This is crazy. But you know, it's, it's funny. It's always the craziest worst road stories that wind up being the really funny stories that you tell years later yeah no totally um it's, yeah i did a tour with an amateur bus driver who owned his own bus with my old band clovo and it was the most horrific thing ever and actually for a long time i didn't really want to talk about it it's so bad but there's a lot of funny stories like having a bad bus driver is just the worst it's the yeah. worst we had a tour where we canceled I mean, we fired like a couple of different bus drivers and kept having new ones flown out because they were so bad. Really? Yeah, like either driving weird or like acting weird. Um, it's just, it's just yeah. too much. We had one, one who was watching like a movie or a TV show or something on a tablet, like next to the steering wheel. While yeah, you're just like, I don't think so, buddy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, or like swerving at night when you're trying to sleep and you're just like, oh my God. I was just sleeping and we just, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he missed whatever he swerved around, but, 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 but did but maybe was he swerving because he was paying attention or because he wasn't paying attention. You never really know. Right. Yeah. Maybe he was taking a little nap. Yeah. Whew, scary. But yeah. So aren't you excited to get back on the, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Like I've been so, I've been so in like dad mode with my kids um, school and kid wrangling and all that stuff that, um, when Telluride was coming up, I was so excited to get a break. Like I, you know, I was gone. I spent an extra day there. So I was gone for two and a half days or something. It was the longest I'd been away from my kids since the pandemic started. And it was, um, it was kind of, it was awesome and it was weird, but it's just like that. I, I miss having the, I miss being on tour and just being like, a grown up among grown ups um, is the pandemic with kids that are younger is just really brutal. Yeah. I could handle being on a bus with a bunch of old guys. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's also, it's like, um, you know, especially even since I started working for the agency, um, you know, and then after not being able to go to a show for so long, 
I've just been reminded, especially over the last few months that I've been sort of making the rounds, um, visiting venues and going to gigs, you know, with the artists. Um, I'm like, yeah, you know, like that is really the best part of doing this job. Um, and to sort of not take it for granted, um, you know, a real lesson to learn, like the, when Birdland reopened in July, um, I'm glad they made it. It's a scary time for lots of things, like for lots of clubs and musicians and everything. Like not everybody's figuring out how to get through. Yeah. There's still, I'm going to a show tonight and it's pouring rain and kind of cold here. And I'm like, we're really pushing this outdoor thing a little far. <laughs> um, and I'm not really ready to go to indoor shows, I think, until at least my little guy's vaccinated. But um, oh, yeah. mm. but it's like, there's this really cool venue that opened up, or at least, I don't know, some people like it, some people aren't that excited about it. But it's a, I'm going to see the Blue Cranes, which is a jazz band here in Portland. Um, and it's going to be totally pouring rain outdoor show. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's going to be, it won't be my first or my last um, pouring rain outdoor show in Portland, Oregon, but uh, it is a little late to be doing outdoor concerts in Oregon. Like it, we've, our fall is in full effect already. So. Well, we should schedule it as something another, another time where I'm not recording you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Um, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, say, I, well, I don't know how frequently you're in touch with the guys in the, the other guys in the band, but. I'm going to see Jenny tonight, probably at that show. All right. We'll unless, see. unless she bails because it's too wet. We'll say hi to Jenny for me. <laughs> okay. I will. Thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely. Um, it was great talking to you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and make sure to email me some links and things that I can post oh, yeah. in the oh, text and all of that. So that I can, uh, you know, I'll send you, yeah, a couple links to my thing and um, a link to the bocce ball video and and the <laughs> thing about and Miriam Kaba's thing because and then um, yeah, I'll do that. Cool. All right, Nate. Well, take care of yourself. Say hi to Marissa. Okay, we'll do. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, bye. bye.